Hello, everyone, and welcome to Integrated Rhythm. Two swing dancing besties, that's just almost Alemani and myself, Bobby White, navigating race and the black experience in swing dancing, jazz dancing, and other Afrocentric social dances. This week, we have another Chisomo and Bobby episode for you. In fact, you can think of it as kind of part two of the last conversation, although it's completely on its own, so you also don't have to go and listen to part one if you haven't to already. But that was the one that we put out last week. Anyway, hope you enjoy it. It's a fun conversation. As always, I always have fun conversations with Chisomo. Also, we at Integrated Rhythm have an email address. That's right. We're getting fancy around here. You can email intrhythm at gmail.com. That's intrhythm, all one word, at gmail.com. If you have to look up the word, how to spell the word rhythm, you're the same as me. So don't beat yourself up about it. Just go type in I-N-T-R-H-Y-T-H-M at gmail.com. And that hopefully will get you there if I spelled it right. We would love for you to write in, not hate mail. So let's please don't send that in. Uh, call in, not call out. However, we would love for you to ask us questions. Any questions that you got, you can write them in on the email. You can prefer to remain anonymous. We will honor that. We want you to feel like you can ask anything you want to. Uh, and so, yeah, just totally write us a question and say, oh, you know, by the way, please don't use my name or anything if you use it. So please send those questions in to intrhythm at gmail.com and we will answer those questions. Also, you're listening to Baron Ryan. That is Laurel Ryan's brother, an amazing pianist who combines both classical and jazz. Check out his projects. They're awesome. You can go to baronryan.com, B-A-R-R-O-N. R-Y-A-N.com or you can check out firstofitskind.net where you can see this amazing project involving this music. Integrated Rhythm with Chisomo and Bobby Jessica and I were practicing air steps in a park uh, in, in the park this last year and these three little black girls come up and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? That's so fun. That's so fun. That's so fun. And they're like, can you do it? Can you do it again? Can you do it again? And you're like, okay, we'll do it Aww. again. And we were confronted with that awkward situation of like, in our heads, we were like, we wanted to tell them like, this is your dance, by the way, you should totally <laughs> do this. If you want to, don't think that this is a white thing, that, yeah. but you know, how do you, there's, there didn't seem to be a proper place in the conversation to bring that up with the three little black girls who were just really excited to see us chuck each other around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that like when I think about, I'm like, once again, I think about some elders who I know would be like, by the way, this is black dance, but I, I get what you're saying. Like when you're trying to like speak through those racial boundaries, you're like, this conversation is about to get real deep right. real quickly. And so. they just, <laughs> they just wanted to see us throw each other around. That's all they wanted to see. They didn't necessarily want a history yeah. lesson or a legacy lesson. And I get that. And maybe I like, maybe I yeah. should, should have tried. You know, maybe, maybe I held back too yeah. much because I also like, I think I have this weird fear of sounding like an, like an adult in a negative way. Like, by the way, I'm going to educate you on this thing that you are interested yeah. in right away, you know, which, and maybe yeah. that's, that's not fair either to, educational adults yeah no I just I I had this thought in my brain where it's like just so you know this is a black dance yeah <laughs> like, and also that might be you know? creepy coming from 
to white people, right? We were white people throwing around and we're like, by the way, little kids, this is a black dance. You should totally do this dance if you want to. In fact, we'd be happy to come out here and play around with you all day if you want to. Like, that would have been in our hearts. Maybe not the thing that we should say out loud. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that that is so funny. Um, at my family reunion a few years ago, I, um, I, had, I had the idea of us putting together a literal family tree. And so what we did, because like a lot of our history is passed on through oral tradition. Um, we know that with the passing of different elder members of our family, we're losing aspects of who we are and our history. And so a lot of my, I feel like my mom's generation and um, some of the cousins are trying to capture our history. And I was thinking like, why don't we take photographs and put them, like put ourselves on this tree and then people can bring photos. And so my mom brought a bunch of photos. We, we had, um, we had uh, Polaroid cameras. So we were able to take pictures of everybody oh, who's awesome. there, their families. And we <laughs> plotted them on this tree on this wall. So it was really cool to see our literal That's awesome. family tree on this wall. Yeah. And so um, I'm by this wall and one of the cousins, one of the little cousins comes up and um, asks a question. And I'm struggling about what the, but this, that this child is in the same like age range as the children he just described. And I believe he was like, how do we know that so-and-so family member like, how do we connect with this idea? And then so I looked at him and then I went into this very deep thing. Like, the way that you identify is determined by yourself. And we are connected to one another. And so we can help each other figure out aspects of our identity. And it is nuanced and blah, blah, blah. So I go into this whole thing, being, being me. And like talking about these deep aspects of identity by this wall, this family tree of pictures of our family. And my my cousin, older cousin, walks past and she looks at me and she's like, Chisamo, too woke, too woke, please. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so like, I think I like have my hand on this like baby cousin's shoulder, like, let me impart this wisdom. And she's like taking my hand off, like, no, like, let the child go. He just wants to play. Like he asked a very simple question, and now you're talking about identity contingencies. Like, <laughs> like let the child go. So I was just, yeah, I was imagining. I appreciate that you let the children go. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard to let them go. It was hard because these are these are three young black women that could, you know, in the future be love you know like be in love with jazz dance because of those two white people yes. that they met in the park one time that that opened up the dance to them that that welcomed them in that opened the door for them and, and i let them go <laughs> without any lecture whatsoever without any awkward invitation to them knowing that it's a black dance 
Yeah. You're like, you realize at that moment of wokeness, you didn't need to. <laughs> like, I just imagine like um, Ella and then like Jill Scott and Lauren Hill playing in rapid succession in the background <laughs> as you're like talking to these individuals. You're like, we're in New York City, the home of America's greatest music and dance. Amazing black people carried this legacy. This legacy is yours. <laughs> like, it's just this Let me show you some clips, yeah. children. <laughs> Let me show you some clips. Yeah, but but seriously, it's you know it's hard to going back to like drawing lines, right? It's hard to figure out like when, especially when you're immersed in in dance education and in learning more, and your desire like to be inclusive is so big. You know, there there's that question of nuance, like when is it appropriate? You know, and so. It also kind of feels weird, I guess, to do that without their parents around. Like, maybe if their parent was there or something, I could be like, you know, kids, this is a black American art form or something. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's weird. I will say that yeah. one thing I did take away that I think is very important from this situation, one thing I did take away is that if our dance isn't out there in the world, people aren't going to see it. You know, the only time mm -hmm. that three little black girls came up and asked me about swing dancing was when we were in a space that was around three little black girls. And so, like, so much of mm -hmm. our dancing is done in ballroom studios or in dances or weekend workshops, all of which are really insular. And, you know, there, you know so, much of the, so much of the last few years have been promoters being like, well, okay, so if we put people of color on the flyer, will that help if we go to their dance scenes and, like, and try to make sure to interact and connect with their dancing will that help there's all these things and like we found at least for you know a little sliver of of wisdom in the fact that like we were practicing in a park uh in a neighborhood that is a caribbean mm -hmm. neighborhood and like mm -hmm. people were excited about the dancing that they saw that we were practicing while they were walking by and there's a there's a whole lot to be said for that yeah yeah there is and um like you said, visibility and, um, yeah, I was actually, I like the one part, the one thing in my brain that keeps going off is I'm like, I wonder what, what, how they would have connected to the content if you were like, Hey, have you heard of a person named Ella Fitzgerald or have you heard of a person named Frankie Manning? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. and then you could open their door that way and talk, tell the story yeah. of Frankie. Um, be like, yeah, he was this African-American man who developed this thing that we're doing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, you know, and so then, and then also, because here's the other thing that keeps popping my mind is like being, um, I know that there's some people who are um, dark skinned, but do not identify as black. So then there's that question of like, that's a very good, where, where that's do you, a great you know, point. if I could have like, if I, yeah. if we had said like, by the way, kids, this is a black dance. They might've been like, well, I'm Caribbean. Like, yeah. Why? Yeah. Or like, I I, yeah, really I, I'm that. Dominican. Yeah. I'm like, not, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and so and, and not to say that all people you know there's uh sorry that also made me think of a thing that I was listening to Yabo Blay was it has this book called One Drop and she had a lot an Instagram live with somebody who was talking about being um identified as Creole and knowing people who separated themselves from blackness by identifying as Creole. And so there's all of these different nuances with people who are what we would call melanated, right? Darker complected. And so um, I, as part of my initial thought of you interacting with these girls, I was imagining <laughs> being like, it's a black dance. Well, if you identify in that way, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there's all of these like things. So many pieces. You know, you have to navigate as you're doing that. But, but yeah, I like actually, that this is where thing. I would. That that's that's very cool, and that that sounds very like PBS after school shows kind of way. <laughs> like, I mean that in a good way. I mean that in a, like I don't interact with children very much, and so that makes sense that I would have not necessarily chosen the best path to interact with children. <laughs> Oh no, you're totally fine. Well, and I appreciate. Yes, I do interact with kids a lot. But this is this is what I'm saying, though. That's why I felt like I had the permission to be like, my young child and my family know the ways of your. You know, like I I went too far with that child. <laughs> it was too woke. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, like asking, have you ever heard of a? heard of a little person of a person named blah 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 um i i kind of want to do the michelle thing and be like listeners what would you have done in that situation yes absolutely listeners by the way listeners we have an email address i often check it just to make sure that i've said it right because we have yet to get any emails so call in <laughs> to int rhythm intrhythm.com no, sorry, there's <laughs> intrhythm at gmail.com. And let us know. What what would you do? Yeah. What would you do? Three little black girls come Knowing... up to you in the park watching you dance. What would you do? Yeah. What would you do? Yeah. Like we I feel like um at swing dance instructors have been grappling for years about how to integrate more aspects of history and culture into their classroom-based classes. And so this feels like an extension of that where it's like if we were to falsely stratify all of that into levels, it's like you and Jessica have like owned the level, like you have, you have the level of like introducing history and culture in the classroom. And then you have, you, you've done that like with your team and like you've done, you're doing that on like this, Lance, this greater landscape level within this podcast and so now you're out in the wild of the park and so it's and like three little girls trips me up yeah. <laughs> out of all that i've learned i was not prepared for three little girls he wasn't ready you heard enough and now it's time for the break we would love for you to always Think about, hey, there's a thing I want. I wonder if there are some people of color or indigenous people or black people that might be selling this thing that I want in order to throw some money into that community in order to help them grow and thrive and flourish. And I was thinking, Chisomo, you mm -hmm. are one styling mofo. Thank you. Please 
please divulge at least one of your secrets about where you buy your stylish things. I shop Kamanga Wear. It's found in Lusaka, Zambia, and you can get cool rings, earrings, masks, clothes. And if you have questions about what clothes or what you can wear, I would check out Diop, D-I-O-P's website, the section, who can wear this? Because Kamanga Wear is similar. Anyone can wear it. And I do look good. You should check out me getting an award from the Institute of International Education. I'm wearing a Kamanga Wear dress there. Styling and profiling. Hey, everybody, this is Bobby White from Integrated Rhythm. We're here to ask you to please consider donating to the podcast. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash integrated rhythm. You can do so by Venmoing at Bobby Swungover. And make sure to put a little IR in the note so we make sure it goes to the right people. You can also do so by PayPaling at Bobby White 3. And once again, putting a little IR in the, in the window there. Doing so will help us keep this podcast going, and we love doing it, and we hope you love it too. If you can't afford to donate at this time because times are rough, we totally understand. We don't want you to put yourselves out. We want you to keep enjoying the podcast for free. However, if you have a little bit of pocket change in your pocket, we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks, and have a great day. Now break is over. Now it's back to the show. But yeah, you're you're like this impromptu teaching moment happens with people you don't know. And you're like, what do we do? How much culture do we <laughs> like infuse in this moment? Um, like Lindy Hop is not like ballet. So like you're out in you're out in the park and there are different dance styles that even if you haven't explicitly taken those classes, you could be like, ooh. I, I recognize those shapes, right? And you have some idea that like, oh, this is, because I remember being little and like standing on my toes. It's like, I want to dance like this, you know? Um, and mimicking ballet because it has enough presence in like TV shows and movies and stuff that by the time you're like 10 or 11, you probably have that word to see this dance form. So when you're seeing people throw others around, you may not have any words for it. And so since the on-ramp, I think, into swing dancing and oftentimes in other Afrocentric dances is steeper, there's like a question, like the amount of familiarity that you have to, that a person has coming into that interaction is so much smaller. So you're like trying to cover more ground in a shorter period of time. And so then there's this trade-off of like how much information you know, and then also, like to your point, I think it's really important for us to take th these things, these dances that have been decentered, and bring them more proximal to people, to everybody, by doing them out in the world, and not just being in silos. So I, I like what you're saying about like people ask us what we're doing when we're in public. And then they get interested and engaged when we're in public versus like, come to my ballroom and hang out over here. Right. You know? And that reminds um, something that reminds me of two things. First off, because of that, we are focusing a lot harder or we are less worried about getting back into the studio now because of that. 
Like we have parks. Yeah, it's going to rain on some days and we'll have to cancel practice, but let's keep having practices in parks because people will see the dance. And sure enough, mm-hmm. like, you know, every other time that we practice in the park and we switch parks, we go to Central Park and we come back to Prospect Park, uh, we alternate. And um, pretty much, uh, you know, once out of three times, someone comes up and asks us about what we're doing, showing a sincere interest in it. The other thing that remains me think of is uh, I'm fascinated by I'm fascinated by what makes scenes happen. What makes certain uh, what makes some some people in practice research call them um, crucibles of what what makes like really really talented groups burst out because they tend to be in groups they tend to be pockets of talent and first thing Mm. that tells us is that talent isn't just inherent in a person versus not inherent in another person that tells us that there is something Mm -hmm. that the environment is providing these people that makes them accelerate at a higher speed in growing their skills than than another place oftentimes it's the group itself the presence of a group itself. You have people that you're connected to. You have people that you bounce ideas off of. You have people that you compete against within that group. You have a one-upmanship. You have a one-upmanship that's naturally part of play when you're with a group, especially a group that's just focused on doing that thing. And so, for instance, uh, some famous ones in the past are skateboarders. The Z-Boys was this group of, of surfers who started working on their skateboarding during the off surf season. And like, they just so happened to be a group of kids who would push each other. And they had like a few crucial leadership positions. Like some kids stepped into the leadership position that allowed them to like accelerate the group. They just knew how to like lead the group. Right. And that is another great example is Whitey's Lindy hoppers is you have like right. it's not that mm-hmm. these teenagers in Harlem were inherently more talented at Lindy Hop than black teenagers in Chicago, black teenagers in Alabama. Like it wasn't that they were just more inherently talented. It's that they were in the right place at the right time with the right situation. They were in the birth of jazz swing. They were yeah. in they yeah. they were in uh the Savoy Ballroom. They had a exploitive person who was also very good at coaching so they had they they had a coach who also (laughs) needed to exploit people and so he was very invested in this group of teenagers and getting them to be really good and so he would just bounce them off of each other he would say like you know like he would be like can you do it as good as that kid you know like oh look at how he does it i bet no one else could do that like he was he was just so good at men uh i'm gonna use this word that's We'll use it in a neutral sense, manipulating. So not necessarily in a negative sense. He was really good at manipulating people so that they grew and become be, and help became good at this. And he also, you know, he also part of that is being a casting director. Like he probably caught the kids that he knew like had a personality that would work well in the group or work well on the stage. So he he was he was doing all these mm-hmm. things that like uh and then again, like so he also had the Savoy Ballroom at his command so that he could let them come in during the day and just practice all day. And these are kids who didn't have 
that's that was a goodest thing to do as you know anything else and so they would like go to the yeah. ballroom and hang out and get really good at this art form um and so anyway all that reminds me that like uh this happens in the this has happened in the modern swing scene in a few places and you can usually just point to your favorite groups of lindy hoppers so if you point to like uh you know, hop swing and a jump in New York in the nineties and early two thousands. Or if you point to like uh Colorado and the Denver scene and how they like grew a, a team. Uh or if you point yeah. to uh a lot of a lot of the instructors that people a lot of the top level instructors in Lindy, if you think of like Naomi and Andy Reed and Sky and uh to some extent yeah. Kate Caitlin Wellman to some extent Peter Strom. Yeah. Like they they yeah. were grown up as teenagers in a scene yeah. that like that like they could yeah. grow up in. And one of the yeah. I think one of the from what I understand, one of the hilariously simple reasons for that. This is so simple. Um, the 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 D.C. group, the Washington, D.C. dance group, Tom and Deborah put on dances. They're not a group. They're. A teaching couple but they put on dances in a mall they had a club that was in a mall called the american club and that's where they had a lot of their dances and so guess who goes to malls everybody especially at that time and so yeah everyone would walk by and see swing dancing and so the dc scene was able to get teenagers like 14, 15, 16 year old kids interested in this dance in a in a time when very few scenes across the country could get anyone under, you know, like 25 or 30 interested in the dance. And that was just a really interesting, I don't know, that, that's that's always that fact is that yeah. theory has always fascinated me. Yeah. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was just thinking about like breakout groups, breakout people even like thinking about like the rise of hip-hop and the different hip-hop artists that came out um in like the 70s 80s 90s you know and then i'm um, thinking about like dancers b-boys um shout out to the so, dungeon crew in like, atlanta yeah. <laughs> outcast rep gotta rep the atl um but but thinking about about those like there are distinctive people and personalities when you think about um like you said that and I immediately was like hip-hop like people don't quite understand like the emergence of hip-hop and like Julia in her episode was talking about how there's this conversation about like who actually started it you know and many sources are like DJ Cole Herc you know and then there's like this whole conversation but then undoubtedly this beautiful thing emerged out of New York City and you have all of these incredible DJs and MCs and then subsequently these different dance styles that come out um, even thinking about like Soul Train and like the amazing dancers that came out of Soul Train yeah. and like that goes back to your idea of like you have this group of people that are around each other and the whole idea in that is like is one upping is having your own voice is you know being the best that you can be in that moment um, and then I, I went I kind of hung out in the 20s also thinking about um, Barcelona right and like um, have you ever seen the movie Midnight in Paris? 
like midnight in Paris is a, um, there's anyway, there's, um, thinking about Barcelona and Paris in the 1920s, the there were so many, right. The expatriate, the expatriates. Yes. Like, yes. Fitzgerald's and yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, George, my, what's her last name? George Elliot. Elliot. Oh man. I love that author. Anyway, clearly love her so much. I can't remember her name. <laughs> I think um, Stein was also there. Yes. Yes. But yeah, but, but right. Like all of these, um, amazing authors. And then you also had like, you had amazing painters at that time, like Dali, like, you know, Picasso, all these great. So, um, and there's this question of like, why these people in this spot, you know, like it was, they're very centralized, like localized kind of situations. And so, um, so that idea of like this greatness happening uh, around a group of people and a group of people enabling that, it's really cool. Yeah. It's really oh, yeah. Cool. By the way, uh, yeah. listeners, lest I um, oversimplified things, uh, I know uh, one of the other factors, I know I mentioned like, I mentioned Naomi and Nina Gilkinson and Andy Reid, and I also mentioned Sky and Caitlin Wellman and stuff. Sky and Caitlin Wellman were part of their own crucible in the yeah. um, in New York. In New York, yes, the well, uh, yeah, the mini teachers. So yeah, so they they were part of their yes. own crucible story. Um, Caitlin Wellman is a very dear friend, and I and um, yeah, she listening to her stories about back then is just really really cool. I think, oh, yeah, I think it is George Eliot. I was like, my brain was like having a fight with me. You're like, T.S. Eliot? I'm like, no, George. George. Um, the author that had a male uh, a pen name in order to be published. Ah. I love her. Um, she's the one who has um, the quote about, yes, about um, good friends and good friends um, being able to sift through what you're saying and like throw away the chaff and hold on to oh, what yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's really cool. I also feel like that ties back into this idea of interdependence. Like I think many people, I feel like I've he heard a lot of yes. like, the majority of people in my life asking like about purpose and being wanting to be great you know, but if we are hanging on to this narrative of like the only way to be great is by independence, I think that that's actually going to do more harm than good. Yes. Especially when we recognize like if you are in a community, if you are in a group of people that is inspiring, it's pushing, propelling you Absolutely. forward, you're more likely. I, <laughs> I really think of my own journey as that tale. Um, I, I spent a long time trying to work on my dancing as an island, like in and of itself. And part of that was because of geographical circumstances. I wasn't necessarily in a place that, that a large group fostered, you know, was around to foster that kind of thing. And so I totally, those listeners out there who are in that situation, I totally hear you. And I feel you. Um, when I, whenever in my dancing life, I've worked with peers, whenever I've like played around with other people, I've realized First off, the fun that I was missing by trying to do it alone, 
And I also realized how much better I got more quickly, how much more inspired I was to, to even do dancing. And the, the more I realized that art isn't just for art's sake. Art is for the human connection that your art creates mm. as well. Mm. So there's self-expression, but who are you expressing to if you're, if you're alone in a room? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about artistic value and I, it, what you just said resonates so much with me. Um, I think it's so beautiful to be able to co-create with people and to be inspired by others and to inspire other people and see what we can create together, you know? Um, and so I don't think that there's a particular right or wrong way yeah. to create, but I do really love like collaborative approaches because I, I believe that as humans, we're made for one another. I believe that we are, we exist to connect and we thrive when we connect. We thrive when we are looking out for one another and, um, and learning about one another being curious, you know, and, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And I will say like, I have been able to amuse myself a lot, you know, like I can dance and play <laughs> around and have a good time myself. And that's how I have developed a lot as a dancer. But what I'm saying is, is when I start doing it with other people, that's when it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so we, I think in a in an earlier episode, it talked a little bit. I think the episode with Stephanie actually many moons ago um, talked a little bit about like what was good in the pandemic and our connection to dancing in this moment. And um, I have really enjoyed being able to um, dance in um, in the south central african space and the zambian space and the afrobeat space i because it's something i've been able to do on my own but i've also had the opportunity to teach and in those moments i have valued that because for me um those teaching moments are opportunities for me to share this part of me um that i don't often get to share you know when you were talking about holding the door open, like earlier in the discussion, like holding the door open for other people to see more of who I am. Um, my The way that I learned how to be as a kid was to assess, observe, and then introduce. So assess, observe, interact with people where they are, and then introduce different elements of myself because I've always been confusing for people. And so <laughs> I have like they're like where are you like who are you where are you from um and so when I'm in, when I have the opportunity to share from my cultural perspective from my dance home space to share in my legacy to share in my experiences then I it is such a treat for me and then in that I like to invite other people to share themselves. And so it really has been this healing thing for me because anyone who, um, who is a third culture kid, as they would say, like kind of sits on the margin of different communities. So you are like, for me, I'm 
Zambian. My passport is green. Um, grew up in the U.S. to some degree. Travel back and forth. I, I hold different identities, different cultural perspectives. Um, I'm in the United States as a black woman. I'm viewed as Black American, and I there are, and I proudly am. I'm like yes. <laughs> yes, I w- I've been um, educated and supported and loved by my family, my chosen family in the black community in the United States. And I am also black African. So like there's all of these different I- aspects of my identity. Um, and so to have the opportunity to step in front of people and, and reveal myself as I would like to be revealed is such a beautiful and wonderful thing. And so um, when you talk about these shared spaces of interaction and dancing, like I love that because it provides us opportunity for vulnerability and connection and honesty. And, um, and then from there, we can create these really cool things, you know? Podcasting ain't free. Podcasting ain't free. You may think it costs no money, but podcasting ain't free. We-